Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Ashley Randolph, is a black woman who had three premature babies. In this podcast, she describes the appalling prejudice that she experienced at that time and her subsequent work in patient advocacy to the point that fewer women will experience the same indignities as a result of Ashley's incredible commitment to the care of those women. Here to tell her story is Ashley Randolph. Ashley Randolph, I am thrilled to have the chance to spend some time with you today. I know that yours was a very personal journey in healthcare. It couldn't be more personal than having three premature babies. Tell us about the first occasion and then the next one and what then led you to think that this needed to change. Thank you so much for having me and for this opportunity to be here today to help share my little story. My story is quite unique. My first child, I was actually a senior in college and I was inspiring to be a OBGYN. I knew I wanted to deliver babies. I was essentially a doula before I knew what a doula was since high school. So all of my friends who became pregnant from high school and college, they would call me and say, you know, the baby's not moving as much today, or I'm having these weird cravings. And I would say simple things like, uh, well, maybe that craving is associated with a vitamin deficiency that you're having. And then I would just fall into research into it. So senior year, I'm going to Xavier University in New Orleans. It's right after Katrina. I'm a senior there, uh, biology pre-medicine. At the same time, I'm going to Tulane University in New Orleans, going there for public health. Now, Xavier is a predominantly black school. Tulane is a predominantly white school. So when I'm at Xavier, I feel right at home. But when I'm at Tulane, I feel like everybody has all eyes on me. So two different experiences, but I'm still going for the same thing. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew that I wanted to work with the World Health Organization. That was one of my main goals in my life since I was about 15. I had no idea how those two would work together, which is why I was taking both majors. Uh, Senior year, I became pregnant. I was staying on campus. I had my own dorm been paying for it for four years. I found myself falling in love with someone and I got pregnant and I didn't know how to explain to the school that someone on campus is pregnant because they didn't have family housing. But I became so sick. I got what they called severe hyperemesis gravidarium. But uniquely for me, I'm the 1% who gets the extreme rare case where even chemotherapy medication does not work. Nothing works at all. So I became so sick that I couldn't go to class and I had to go to the school doctor and let her know I'm really, really sick. She told me to take a pregnancy test. She comes back with her clipboard 
she's looking at the clipboard, never looks at me, and she's a black lady, elderly lady. She tells me to follow her to the back. When we go to the back, she's still looking down at the paper. She takes out her little circle calendar, and she counts back some weeks. And she never at this moment still hasn't looked at me eye to eye. And she says, okay, it looks like you're about six to seven weeks. Unfortunately, we do not have family housing, so you have to leave campus immediately. And she said, and I would suggest that you find a doctor. So I immediately am like, so I just have to leave campus. Like, this is my, I only have two semesters left. My family's in California. I had no family around. Everyone I, I knew at this time was on this campus. I found myself having to live in a fourplex apartment. It wasn't the best condition, but it was what I could find in such little time. In this area, there was a high schooler, and she had just had her daughter a year ago. So she was about 16, and we are still friends to this day. And she seen me pregnant one day, and it was hard for me to go back and forth to the school to eat. And she comes to me and she says, have you ever heard of the food stamp program? And I said, well, no, I haven't because my family was well-to-do. But because I got pregnant my senior year and my family literally, my uncle calls me the Aaron Brockovich of our family. And this was before I even had kids. Since I was a little girl at five, six years old, he would always say, you're the next Aaron Brockovich. So when I got pregnant, my whole family cut me off. My mother didn't talk to me. My dad was disappointed. My uncle cut off all financial arrangements he had with me. I wasn't getting as much financial aid anymore because I'm now living off campus and it's the middle of the year. Things have changed. And so I told her, no, I've never heard of food stamps. I didn't even know that was available. And so she went, talked to her grandma, and they helped me go and apply for food stamps. Now, the first time I applied for food stamps, I actually got denied. I got denied. And the actual caseworker told me, she said, well, you have two options. You can either quit school and feed your baby, or you can stay in school and find another way for you to eat. You are listening to the Health Design Podcast with your host, Moyes Jiwa. I could not stay in school and get food stamps at the same time. So I went back home. I was devastated. About two weeks later, I made a decision that I had to eat. I I have to feed my child. I have no income coming in. So I dropped out of college. When I dropped out of college, I went back and reapplied for the food stamp program and got approved. To me, that was the best thing in the world because I could now eat. I was so hungry at this point. I had no idea about food resources, the food banks, maybe going to a church. There was no potential resources giving to me. It was just those two options. So I did what was best. I then got 
my doctor appointments. And about this time, I'm about five to six months and I'm starting to have preterm contractions. The doctor's nervous, but not really. I finally get my blood work done. And the doctor calls me and says, you have the possibility to have everything wrong with your child. He may have cleft, all this from a blood test. He may have cleft lips, too many chromosomes. I mean, you name it, this is what they said. Scared me crazy, but I was never given a referral either. So it was one conversation. At this time, I had just signed up for a pregnancy program that the same high schooler student had told me about that her cousin was in. So I was maybe two or three weeks with starting this pregnancy program at the time. And I had a case manager with the program that would come visit me at home because I was now considered high-risk pregnant. When she came to visit me, I told her what the doctor had told me on the phone. She told me I'm almost six months pregnant. She says, well, honey, you've came so far in school. I think that you should have a late abortion because there's no way that you can finish school and be a doctor and have a child with so many abnormalities. That was my last day at that program. I have made in my mind that, you know, whatever problems comes with Aiden, I'm just going to be the best mom I can be to him. Well, of course, he didn't have a name at that time, but I was thinking of baby names. About eight months, I just decide enough is enough. And so I call my aunt Liz because I couldn't call my mom because the stress of me being pregnant and not finishing school had stressed her so much that she started having seizures when I was pregnant. So I couldn't call her. So I called my aunt and said, aunt, I'm having preterm contractions. I'm not in school. I'm on the food stamp program. I have nothing saved yet for Aiden. And I know he's coming. I have to come home. So I came home. I drove home from Louisiana to California. I made it home at 32 weeks. Aiden was born 34 weeks and zero days. His NICU experience, Aiden came out with jaundice. So he had to stay under the light for one night. And he had to definitely learn how to eat. He's, he will be 12 this year. He has mild ADHD. He has Horrible vision where they said that he may have to have eye surgery by the time he's 18 or he will he will essentially be blind by the time he's 18. But nothing compared to what they said. And I'm so glad that I didn't have that late abortion and I didn't get any resources. I never got a referral. It was all these little conversations of you have two options when all the time I had multiple options I just was never given them to me. In my NICU stay, I never left with anything like most moms. So I had no idea that you're supposed to leave with diapers if your child had opened a pack. I had no idea that you could take the pacifiers. I didn't have any clue. 
I just knew that we could take the baby blanket that he was in and go home. So my second pregnancy, that was in 2010. 2014, my uncle dies in, in Houston, Texas, and I go out there to help his wife, who's now a widow, and she's in her late 60s, to help with the funeral. And I meet my high school friend, who I met a long time ago. She's now an adult, and she's living in Houston as well. So I meet her out there, and we have our kids together playing, and we're talking about good times. And her child's father, his brother, is now my husband. And so we have two kids together. And so I met him at this time. And so we uh, moved in. We had a great relationship. That was in 2012. and 2014, I got pregnant with London. The Health Design Podcast is hosted by the Journal of Health Design, an alliance with unfixed media and mental health. London was same thing. At six weeks to the day, I started to have severe HG. With all three kids, I lost 30 pounds, never gained weight. With all three kids, I stayed hospitalized two to three times a week for fluids just to keep my body going. Her story, she was the same. I started having preterm contractions with her at four and a half months, so a little earlier than Aiden, which made me very concerned. I talked to my doctor about it, and my doctor says, you're a great candidate for the progesterone 17 shot, the 17P. And I said, yeah, I've been looking into it. I would like to get it. So at this point, I have done my own research for the first time to try to make sure that I get the best care because I'm now realizing that the doctors may not have the best option for me because of what happened with Aiden. So I'm advocating for this shot. She agrees with me. She takes out a form and I remember her checking every box that was on that form that she had to send to Medicaid to ask them for approval. Once again, a week later, I get a call and she says, I'm sorry, Ashley but Medicaid has denied you for the shot. They said they don't think that you're a good candidate for it. And I remember telling her, but the top three questions were, are you black? Do you already have a premature child? Are you experiencing preterm birth? And I clearly identified with those three. And she says she was apologizing again. So I looked at my husband and I told him, I have to go back home if I want this child to have a fighting chance. And he said, okay. So I packed up me and my son, Aiden. We flew to Sacramento, once again, California. And within a week and a half, I was on Medi-Cal. I was seeing a doctor and I was getting my weekly shot. No questions asked. When I asked the doctor the first time, She did the same thing that they did in Texas, and I was instantly approved. So I stayed here with the sickness and still going to the hospital like with Aiden every other week. 
And then at 30, about 30, 31 weeks, I went back to Texas. I started seeing the same doctor I had before and everything was going great. She was taking really good notes on my case because she knew that there was a chance this baby would come out premature. I call her the angel doctor because I can no longer find her after my birth. And either can the hospital. So I don't know where she came from. But I will tell you that when I was delivering London, London had the cord wrapped around her neck. And I just remember her telling me, nope, don't push. Stop pushing. And so she was so calm and it was so peaceful in that room that I didn't even know what was going on. I just found out like four years ago that London had a cord wrapped around her neck because I, I never knew. And she took care of everything. And I remember her saying, my mom is an OBGYN too, so I know how to do this. Beautiful. And then I had my daughter. She goes to the NICU. She has feeding problems. So they, she is a little worse than Aiden. And I noticed that really quickly. But at the same time, I also, now this is in Texas, I also had CPS called on me. No reason. Just that my child was born premature and they're trying to figure out why. Now my doctor had took really good notes. And so in her notes, she specified, you know, that I already had a preterm child, they looked at my thyroid, they looked at everything, and they really can't find a reason why. So right before it was time for London to come home, I started to have a lot of emotional breakdowns at the NICU because I could clearly see the social worker staring at me when I come in. She's asking a lot of questions about my home and what's going on with me and her dad. Which, you know, was causing a lot of emotion. And so I do believe at that time that I had undiagnosed postpartum. And I do believe that looking back that they were so worried about trying to figure out, pinpoint a reason that they wanted to say this is why she came early and trying to put something on me that they missed what was the most important. And that was my mental health at the time of having my second premature child. So once again, the healthcare system failed me with no resources, no support groups, nothing for me, but I'm left having to fight now for the right to keep my child. So a few days before it was time for her to be discharged, I had a meeting with the CPS case worker at their location. And and so my Husband and I went. We had a great family friend who was in healthcare who lived in Texas. She went with us. And oh my goodness, all my family was on a call <laughs> on that speakerphone in that room saying, Well, if you're going to take her baby, then it needs to come with us. There's no reason, you know, for any of this to happen. And my case got closed because there was no feasible reason why. And so London did come home, but I do believe that London came home early. I believe they pushed her out really early because of what was going on. To this day, we are still working and she will be eight on Sunday. 
We are still working on London's vocal cord. I just got confirmation a month ago from her school speech therapist that yes, there is something wrong with underneath London's tongue. And she do believe there's something wrong with her vocal cord. And it was something that they more than likely missed when she was born and in the NICU. So now I just got her doctor involved again, now saying somebody's finally listening eight years later. And I've been advocating with her doctor, but it took eight years to get a school specialist to say, yes, there's clearly something wrong with her. Don't you guys hear it? It took her till five years old to talk loud and she's still not loud. Like it it shouldn't be this hard, but we are just now getting to that point. The third child was the next year. I became pregnant right after Valentine's Day. I took a pregnancy test. And at five weeks, and yes, it came back pregnant. And I felt completely devastated. When most people are happy that they're pregnant, I'm feeling like, why me? Like, did I not try hard enough to stop this from happening again? So I already know I'm going to be so sick that I can't take care of myself or my children. I know it's going to start at six weeks. I go home. I I tell my husband, look, I'm pregnant. I got less than a week to get to California because I'm not even going to start it here in Texas. So I move with the kids to uh, back to California. I get on Medi-Cal. Everything's going fine. My husband's still in Texas working. And at around four months, because I'm still suffering from severe HG, so I'm still going in the doctor. Everything's the same as the two before. And I go into my doctor's office, and in the waiting area, I go in and I check in, and the receptionist tells me, I'm sorry, but the doctor says she will no longer see you as a patient. She sees your sickness as a liability to her and the facility. And so I'm sitting there and ironically, the doctor is standing behind her. She has a clipboard and she turns to where now her back is facing me. So I'm not looking at her face no more and I'm in complete shock. I turn around, there's a waiting room full of pregnant women waiting to see the doctor. Most are Hispanic. And I just say, are you sure? She says, yes, I'm so sorry. So I slowly walk out. Medi-Cal tried for a really long time to try to find me another doctor. No other doctor would see me. I ended up having to see an ultrasound tech every week until I was 36 weeks pregnant to make sure my baby essentially had fluid around her and she was still breathing and okay. That's all I could get, no doctor at all. When I had my daughter, I knew that healthcare system was not for me. Everything that I had thought I wanted to do since I was a high school kid, I felt like everything was just not for me. Everything had let me down. I got my tubes tied. I didn't get my tubes tied because I was too sick. I definitely wanted more kids, but I got my tubes tied because 
who was going to deliver my child? Who was going to help me in my pregnancies when I'm my sickest? Who was going to help guide me to know, you know, this is what medication you should take. This is the vitamins you should take. I missed all that in my third pregnancy. I only heard the heartbeat in an ultrasound room. I've never got the opportunity to go in and hear a doctor say, hi, Ashley, how are you doing? Let's check your baby. Because I was hospitalized so much with all three, I've never had a baby shower. My kids all weighed between four. The biggest was 4.6 pounds. And my smallest, which was Jamie, who was the 36-weeker, was only three pounds and 10 ounces. So her being the one in the longest, two weeks longer, but at the same time, the smallest. And I truly believe it was because I had no doctor. And they couldn't accurately watch my weight as well as a baby weight because I'm not getting weighed in as an ultrasound tech. So those are my three stories. All three NICUs stays. I've never got a support group resource. I never got any type of resources for when I left. I did get a social worker come in once and offer to give me puzzles and a magazine while I was in the NICU with my kid. But I never got anything. I never walked out with a bag full of diapers and wipes and pacifiers to give me a little head start at home. I missed everything that most pregnant moms should get, if not all, which would be equality. Equality care for everyone means that everybody walks out that door with the same thing for their baby. That is how I got started with Glow Preemies. After I had my second child, I sat down and I said, well, God, I have two kids now. I didn't finish college still. I still have two semesters left. What am I supposed to do? And so I took out a piece of paper and a pen and I wrote G-L-O, God's Little Ones. And then I just put preemies behind it. And so I said, okay, well, you know, I didn't have support, so I want to start a support group. And I think at that time of my life, I was healing myself because no one else was coming in to heal me. So I used things that I wish that I had. So I tried the support group in Sacramento, and then I wanted more families to be involved, and that happened. And then I got great resources who started looking at me and saying, oh, my goodness, you're doing great things. Then about two years ago, some of the top organizations in the NICU field, right before George Floyd died, ironically, who went to high school with my relatives in Houston, so I actually knew him. Right before he passed, some top organizations in the NICU field right now told me I would never make it as a good organization because I only cater to Black families. And you have to cater to everyone. But I knew I had to stay strong in what I believed in because I know from experience that Black families don't get the same experience as others. So to say that we all are in this one bubble would not be right. So I stay true to it. 
And then George Floyd tragically passed away. And that affected me in more ways than one because I did actually know him and his sister. I actually talked to his sister after he passed and it was really, really hard. And so I talked to Deb DeSenza from Preemie World and we joined our efforts together and we created the Alliance for Black NICU Families. So with that now, I felt like I got my drive back to make change in the world. So we have the Alliance and we're working on legal changes from state to state, mandating racial and health equity for everyone. And that helped push Globe Premies a little more because I said, well, if they change the laws, we have to do something hands on because just having the laws would not be enough. So I created the three-step program. So as of today, Globe Premies is the only African-American NICU organization to stay with families nationally in America, and we are just now starting international work, from the NICU until the child turns 18 years old. We provide mental health support, transportation support, career support, care boxes, which includes various gifts and items for the families, as well as educational resources. We have co-parenting workshops. We have NICU support groups. We have the mobile NICU store, which if the mom calls us and says, hey, I'm $25 short from buying dinner tonight, or we really don't have meat. I essentially bought over 132 meals last year alone for NICU families who just didn't have enough to pay for dinner. We take care of our families. We do the hands-on approach. That is what I call generational change. We work with over 40 hospitals. We work with almost every major insurance company. So we are able to help these families book the appointments that their doctor may not have ever did for them. We're taking the step that I wish someone would have took for me. And that is how we got started with Glow Premies. The Journal of Health Design, fostering collaboration, amplifying the voice of health advocates, growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. Actually, I don't even know where to begin to unpack all of this. The story you're telling, if you had said to me this was in the 19. 40s and 1950s would kind of make sense. But you're talking about your eldest child being no more than 12 years old. This is within recent memory that this kind of behavior has been displayed in the healthcare system. And here you are with three children who were born prematurely and have some healthcare issues. So you are one very busy lady. What has it cost you physically, mentally, emotionally to do the work that you now do? Everything. If I were to say that it cost me nothing, I would be lying. 
It definitely cost me years of time with my children. It definitely cost me years of time with my own two parents who have both passed away. My mother early 2019 and then my dad year after 2020. So I missed a lot of time with my family because I was too busy creating this platform because I know that this will make a generational change. And that's all I'm all about. And I believe that I'm here for a bigger mission than what I even know I am here for. And I know that I can make a change and I know that I can make a difference and it's already showing, but I have to get people to look at it from the root and understand that money doesn't fix everything. And I tell everyone all the time, I can have every single dollar in this world and it will not be enough to help these families the way that they need to be helped. Because like you just said, it, the healthcare system wasn't designed for us. Just like the jail system wasn't designed for African-Americans, a lot of things in America was not created to support African-Americans. So instead of trying to put a Band-Aid on things, we actually have to dig deep and recreate the whole system as a whole to really benefit everyone because it was never created for everyone. And so for me, it's essentially, essentially losing what I love to try to help make sure that other families don't have to feel the pain and hurt that I felt. And that's really important to me. The other bits of the story that were extremely poignant were your friends, your high school friend, who helped you to find the resources that you needed. The doctor who you call him the angel doctor stepped in at the right moment to help you in that situation. Your family who stood by you when you were facing that awful situation of being accused of heaven knows what in the face of another premature delivery. You have now become, and your organization has become that friend. You've become that support structure that you experienced individually to provide the support for more women. And it's cost you to do that because you've had to give up so much of your time in order to make that change happen. Are we there yet or do we have a way to go? We have a long way to go. So what I have created is a new healthcare system, essentially. And it's called Glow Premies NICU City, where we are actively working on a pilot right now in California. And we're looking for sponsors to help us and investors with this. But we want to make our own little city where we will have families, pre-homeless and homeless NICU families, which ironically, a lot of NICU families are homeless. And I want to take those and put them in a five-year housing plan where we have tiny homes and then they work their way through the program to where at the end they're renting a home 
or they're on their way to buying their own home. We are also having our own little facility in there for the NICU and a healthcare facility for those pediatric services that are needed. We're gonna have a resource building for postpartum, everything under education, because we do do tutoring and IEP reviews. So we have an education department and, and basically putting everything that we have physically in a location and have these families live within this city that we've created for them so that they know that if it's 10 in the morning and they're out of formula, they go straight to the NICU store. Or if they need mental health support and today is just a really, really rough day for them, they have it right there at their, their disposal. We don't have to wait six months for mental health support. It's really bad in America. It really, really is. Where people are waiting a really long time. And then by the time you come to your appointment, that one problem you initially called for has now turned into 12 problems. So we have to do better all the way around the board. And I really hope that the world comes together because I really see Glow Preemies, NICU City being everywhere. I see Glow Preemies showing up everywhere where you see a McDonald's arch. So I have these dreams of a world and I see the little McDonald arches coming up, like boop, 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 we're here. And then Glow Preemies sign is right behind them and it changes everything. It changes how African-Americans and Africans, because we are now working in Africa, it changes how they see themselves. It changes how they see each other. And it, see, it changes how the child, more importantly, view themselves. And when they grow up, that's the generational change because that child will now have every resource that they had available. So when they have a child, they already know what to do. And so that is the impact that I'm hoping to make. And I hope that the world join me in that effort in changing these lives. Talk is cheap and people are going to say lots of wonderful things to you and say, oh, yes, what you did is wonderful. Would you like to talk about it some more? And you could keep talking about this again and again and again. What we need is action. We need somebody to come along and assist you how can we assist you you've talked about sponsorship and my issue with sponsorship i have to say is that i don't want somebody else's logo and beside your logo i want to wear your logo for its own sake not because i'm supporting somebody else for a cheap meal and that I want them to benefit from the fact that they're doing good. Do good for its own sake is what I would be emphasizing. What you are talking about is making a difference to the dignity of humans, regardless of the color of their skin or where they live in the world. No girl at the age of 16 or 18 should be facing this alone. Yes, and I totally agree. And I actually wrote a book. My first book that I wrote is called Black Pregnant and Shamed. And it's uh, ironic because the first edition has me because I am Mrs. America for a pageant I am in currently. 
And so the first edition has my picture with a crown on, but the title is total, totally opposite. And so the reason why I did that was because the world can see you as beautiful and powerful and empowering and everything that a woman should be. But internally, what is happening to that woman on the inside every time she become pregnant? She's getting more and more shameful of even bringing her child into this world to even deal with these issues. And so that's why I did that play with the words Black, Pregnant, and Shamed with the royalty because, you know, everything looks good on the outside, but it's the inside that really matters and mental health especially. And I, I think a lot of people miss that key component. And so, yes, I do agree with you as well that really, really supporting Globe Premies will be so impactful for anyone who just wants to help a human with the purest heart. It's not anything that anyone should do just to put their label on to say, hey, we we helped with this great cause, because it's more than that. If that's the case, even Medicaid can say essentially they helped with a great cause (laughs) because they helped pay for some of the bills. But we also know that a lot of these parents still have a bill after the insurance pays their part. So I totally agree with everything you said. Ashley Randolph, thank you so much for spending the time to tell us your story. It's an astonishing story given that this is 2022, but it reminds us that complacency costs. It costs us that people out there don't have because we are all the poorer for that happening. Thank you for being the voice of reason. Thank you for all that you do. And we wish you all the very best. Thank you so much. The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.